0: Hello and welcome to another unexciting episode of Hashtag Pistons. I'm Joe, I'm your host, and um, you know I know that I said in the last podcast that I'd be trying to turn them in the night before so as they'd actually be up in the morning, and um, I just, I'll be honest, I totally forgot (laughs) forgot about it. Um, I had my schedule cleared out so that I could do it Monday night, and um, it got to be like, I don't know, it was like 9.30 or something, I was like, man... I'm all free. I I don't have anything to do. So I just kind of I just watched a movie and went to bed and it was I was like, Man, that's that's nice. I have nothing to do. And then this morning I woke up and I was like, Oh right, I was supposed to record a podcast. But the good news is the Pistons are off today, so I am recording this Tuesday morning. Um so they don't play till Wednesday night. So even if this doesn't go up until Wednesday morning, no big deal, no harm done, so not not all that worried about it. So yeah. Um we are gonna get that as the future though. Um So, a few different things to talk about. Uh, First off, the Pistons are on a three-game winning streak. And, you know, it's not necessarily the most impressive um, winning streak ever. But, I mean, three wins is three wins. Uh, They beat Atlanta, Indiana, and Orlando. And the thing to remember, Indiana's a real team. Atlanta's bad. Orlando's bad. And the Orlando game was frustrating because it got so close. But in the end, they beat a couple of bad teams, one team that's actually a real team. And, I mean, the reality is they were mostly fairly comfortable. The Orlando game was uncomfortable just because they gave up so many points at the end. But when you consider all in all, it wasn't ever that worrying in the end. Um, And, you know, it's just like when, when they were on the losing streak, I said, competition matters. They're playing a bunch of good teams, and they lost some close games. That happens. Now they're playing some worse teams. Suddenly they're winning. And that's that's the main thing that's good. And fortunately their next game is against Dallas. So they should be able to get at least four. Um, after Dallas they have the Knicks. But I'll talk about those later I suppose. Um, so there's just a few things to touch on. One big thing is, man, Tobias Harris and Reggie Jackson have both really struggled the last few games. Um, particularly Tobias Harris who uh, he shot like, he's just, he's really not shot well the last few games. Against the Magic, he did end up scoring decently, efficiently. I think he scored 17 points on 17 shots, but he was buoyed by the fact that he just hit some jumpers that they kind of gave to him. He's still really struggling to score inside and create for himself, which is problematic. And I don't think that there's anything really particularly there beyond that he's just missing shots. I think that's largely the same thing for Reggie Jackson in this stretch. Uh, he hasn't struggled to quite the same extent as Tobias Harris recently, but uh, he's definitely also struggled. And I think that when it's kind of the same deal where I'm not sure that there's really anything, offensively at least, that stands out that, like, oh, this is a bigger existential problem that they're going to have to watch out for. As much as I think that he's just he's missing shots that he has to hit, and obviously that's a problem because you want him to, you know, at, there's a certain point at which guys have to be able to hit shots. There's no way around that, but within that though, they, uh, it's not necessarily a huge worry going forwards. Um, one thing from the last game that I want to mention about Reggie Jackson is that um, he sort of. Did some stuff, and some people are like, I'm not, I'm starting to be unsure of Reggie Jackson's, you know, maturity and attitude and whatnot. And, um, there's a cup, there's sort of a spiel about this. I said this in the comments on um, the recap of the Magic game, I know, but so deal was he was kind of doing this like at the end of the Magic game because he was on the bench. He was doing this, like, he's, like, locking arms with a couple guys next to him, and I think that he was kind of, like, making a joke of being super nervous that they were going to lose, and I don't even, I didn't actually see what he said, but I've heard that he said a couple of things that were, you know, he's kind of a smartass in his uh, post-game press conference for the last couple of games. And, um, you know, within that, I think... I, look, I like Reggie Jackson. I like him a lot. I think he's a good player. That's not exactly a secret. There are people who are not big fans of Reggie Jackson. That's fair. Um, and I suppose within that, if you weren't bothered by Reggie Jackson's sort of attitude and personality before, then this sort of, I don't even know what you call it. It's, I don't think it really even qualifies as an episode, but... Uh, just sort of his actions over the past couple of games, I suppose. Uh, If it wasn't bothering you before that, then it shouldn't bother you now. And if it was already bothering you, then it's just another thing, because this is why it's bothering you. Um, You know, depending on who you ask, and particularly when they were around Reggie Jackson, it seems that uh, he ranges from... On the good side, being sort of a unique personality who's not necessarily the easiest guy to work with, but mostly fine, to the bad side being he's a jerk and a prick that no one likes. And, like, by the end of... if Anyone who was uh, around him towards the end of his Thunder tenure seems to trend towards that he's a jerk that no one really liked. And for what it's worth, for the most part, in his Pistons tenure... Uh, people, he seems to have trended towards the good side of that, where it's like, yeah, he's not the easiest guy to have around, but people mostly like him. Um, the only time where there's a suggestion that he's really been a problem was during was a, surrounding the infamous players-only meeting last year. where But the thing was, his attitude wasn't actually supposedly, at least from what you hear about it, his attitude wasn't actually the problem. It was other people going at him for his play, which admittedly is fair. But it was mostly other people, supposedly Marcus Morris was a big one, um, but other people complaining to Reggie Jackson about that he was playing really badly. It wasn't Reggie Jackson complaining to other people, which is something worth noting. And here's the thing beyond that, is that this is particularly true of Marcus Morris, is um, it's not a secret that Marcus Morris is, You know, he's not the type of guy who's going to hold back his thoughts, obviously, very often at least. And, you know, since he's left Detroit, he hasn't said really, and he sort of had a backhanded thing where he's like, you know, they did me a favor, they sent me to a better team. But for the most part, he's pretty much been like, no, I've got nothing bad to say about Detroit, I've got nothing bad to say about those guys. And I think that if he really had a problem with Reggie Jackson, I'm, no, maybe he has said something about it and I just haven't seen it, but... I think that, like, if he really had a significant problem with Reggie Jackson, we'd probably have heard about it. I mean, you kind of heard about it from Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant um, after that. There was that whole ordeal where he, like, where Reggie Jackson, like, bounced around getting all hype about beating the Thunder. Um, But, you know, just, so I don't, just, I guess, I basically think that for the most part, he's trended towards the good side of the way he interacts with people with the Pistons, which is that, He's maybe, a, he's a different personality. He's kind of a character. He's not necessarily the easiest guy to work with. But for the most part, he's fine. And no one really has an issue with him, right? But things like the way, like, you know, sitting on the bench and sort of like pretending to be nervous about a game where they did come pretty close to blowing a home game against a bad team is, you know, that's not a great look, but that's just kind of, that's what he is. So I suppose the basic thing to say is then he's not the only guy who's like this. There are all kinds of players who are who have that sort of a thing where it's like, yeah, their personality's a little bit different or whatever. You know, once you get on the good side, it's just a little bit different. On the bad side, it's just bad. But you kind of live with it. Um, obviously, these guys are all way better than Reggie Jackson, but just because I know people like him. like I mean, Kobe Bryant is famous for, that I mean people say all the time, oh, he was a prick. For the most part, people just did not like him. And but you put up with it because he's good. Obviously, Kobe Bryant much better than Reggie Jackson. But the fact still the basic point still remains. I also think that Kobe Bryant probably is a lot harder to be teammates with than Reggie Jackson is because like I and mean, Kobe Bryant is like it's the fact that he's such a jerk and everyone hated him so much is like part of his mystique and legend basically at this point which is, you know, I there's just there's plenty of guys throughout the history of the NBA. Some of them really good players, those are the ones you know the best just because they're the players you know the best. But there's plenty of guys where it's just yeah, they're different, but you just kind of that's just kind of what they are and you just kind of deal with it. And as long as you are producing to a certain level on the floor, it's okay. And this is true in all sports. Um, or not just sports, it's mostly just true with anything, is that the amount of crap that you can get away with is directly correlated to how good you are at whatever it is that you are doing, or how important you are, I suppose. And, uh, you know, (laughs) and for now, Reggie Jackson is a good player. Uh, People can disagree about just how good he is, but he's a good player, he's an important player, So as long as his issues remain, for me personally, at least, as long as the sort of issues remain that's like, yeah, probably shouldn't be making a joke out of the fact that you nearly blew a game against a bad Orlando Magic team at home. Um, As long as that's all it is, it's mostly just kind of like, yeah, it's stupid, but mostly harmless. I'm not really worried about it. But if you weren't worried about it before, then that shouldn't change your mind. Because we've kind of known since he arrived in Detroit that He's got a tendency to do that sort of stuff. So, yeah, that's kind of my spiel on that. If it didn't bother you before, it probably shouldn't now. If it did bother you before, then it's just another thing. And if you didn't know about it before, then here I am telling you, that's what it is. He's just—he's that kind of a guy, so make your judge on that and then go forward. If it doesn't bother you now, then it shouldn't bother you later. Um, And hopefully it doesn't become something bigger than that. I don't think it will, but, yeah. Um, another thing to mention from the last couple of games is uh, Luke Kennard started in place of Avery Bradley, who's hurt. Um, you know, the last game against the Magic, he was less good. Uh, that was actually really a pretty rough game, all in all, to be honest. Um, he only had, what, he only had three points, won a five from the field, hit a three. Uh, that was rough. And it is kind of funny, Stan Van Gundy took him up very early in the game for supposed missed defensive assignments. I say supposed just because I didn't I didn't see it, so I don't know. I haven't gone back and checked it or anything. But I'm not, some people were all like, oh, he shouldn't pull him that early. That actually, that's something with rookies, provided that it was an adequately bad defensive rotation. I have no problem with pulling him early, particularly when you have a guy who and Stanley Johnson, who's a fairly capable guy who can come in and you know, as long as there's fairly capable dudes to put in behind him, I'm not that worried about that. That's sort of thing that you know, I have no problem with Stan Van Gundy being a cranky old old man, basically about if that <laughs> you know, if that makes sense. Like there's ways in which Stan Van Gundy's cranky old man tendencies bother me. Um, pulling a rookie quickly out of a game when the rookie is starting a place with an injured guy. Because the rookie is making a def- bad defense mistakes. That's not one of them. That's totally fine with me. Uh, but the other game against Indiana, he really played well against. He really played well against them. Scored nine points on six shots. When um, I think he went, yeah, he only hit one three. But he really just, he. the big thing was he had four assists in that game. And he really has continued to show really good and smart um, abilities as a passer, he really clearly he sees the floor well. He reads the floor pretty well. He sometimes tries to fit passes in areas that are too too small to fit, which is something that any rookie does pretty much. But he clearly has a good feel for the game. He's got a good head for the game. Um, as far as his passing goes, he's really a you know <laughs> he's kind of a stereotypical all the stereotypical white guy things where it's like oh he just he thinks one step ahead, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But it's true for him, I think, and. It continues to um, lead into the idea, which is kind of the idea that I got after the Pistons drafted him. I kind of really looked into his play at Duke and such, which is that he's more than just a shooter. He's a really good player who can shoot the ball. He's not a shooter, per se, if that makes sense. like I think particular, as the season's gone on, it's become more and more ridiculous that people are making comparisons to... Uh, to uh, JJ Reddick or Kyle Korver with him because it's just he's not even remotely those kind of players. I mean, he's already a better ball handler and passer than either of those guys are now. I, JJ Redick's a little bit better as a. And JJ Reddick is just better than Kyle Korver, to be totally honest. But, um, you know, those guys, they are shooters. They're not ball handlers at all. Whereas Luke Kennard, he can handle the ball quite a bit. And he's only 21. So, <laughs> you know, just. I've mostly been impressed by it, though, and, you know, there's something to be said regardless of what the individual stats may say, so like against Magic, he didn't play very well, but there's something to be said, and I said this about Reggie Bullock back earlier in the year when Stanley Johnson got hurt, is that, now obviously it's ended up being a preview of things to come, but there's something to to be said for a guy who, regardless of their individual numbers, where you can plug them into the starting lineup and it mostly works okay. And, you know, once again, the one game against Indiana, you can't even say, well, it's just because it was against bad competition. And not that Indiana are world beaters, but they're not, they're not trash, that's for sure, they're a real team. And that's worth something, I think, and that matters, and that's something that's a good sign for Luke Kennard, is that he's been plugged into the starting lineup for two games, and it wasn't a total disaster. Like, for a lot of guys, I this is something that I've mentioned before, but there's something to be said for guys who, as young players, now he's not as young as some guys are, but as young players can play real minutes on teams that are actually winning games and actually make it work, regardless of any of the numbers. There's That's a good sign. And it's even more so true when you can put him in the starting lineup for a few nights and have it work out. And so, yeah, that's a good thing for him. Really good signs for him. And i Look, Donovan Mitchell has really taken off recently, and it may well end up being looking like a dumb decision to not draft Donovan Mitchell. Uh, That could well end up being the case. We will see. But Luke Kennard has really played well. I'm certainly not disappointed with Luke Kennard. I'm actually, I'm still mostly very impressed with the way that he's played so far this year. So, yeah. Um, And then, ugh. Sorry, I still got a little bit of that head cold from last week. Um, The big thing that's happened the past couple of games, though, is that Stanley Johnson has been moved to the bench. Reggie Bullock is now starting. Uh, Reggie Bullock has obviously been great the past couple of games, and Stanley Johnson off the bench has also been very good for what it's worth. Um, I initially said that I really hated this move, but I will admit that the main reason that I dislike the move is just because I want Stanley Johnson to be a starter, right? Just simply put, I want that to work. And I want him to get more of a chance to make it work, mostly just because I want it to, I suppose. Um, which is not necessarily the best thing, way to approach it, the more that I've thought about it, just like, because when you look at the numbers, it actually starts to make sense to put Stanley Johnson on the bench and have Reggie Bullock be a starter. But... I just I want Stanley I like Stanley Johnson's game a lot I want him to succeed in so much that I want him to stay starting and that's the main reason that I disliked it, but the more that I've looked into it and I just wrote a piece on this, um, the more that I've looked into it, the more that it makes sense that um, Reggie Bullock and Stanley Johnson can swap and and I talked about this a lot in the article that I wrote I think it's up right now, um, but the main thing. That, you know, obviously there's a basic thing, like the fact that Reggie Bullock can, you know, actually shoot, which is a nice improvement. But there's a way in which this may actually be the best thing for Stanley Johnson as well. Like, this may not actually just be a Stanley Johnson can't be a starter because Stanley Johnson's bad, so we have to find a replacement. It may well end up actually being just as much as it's true that we may want someone who can actually shoot instead of Stanley Johnson. There's just as much of it that's we need to do what's best for Stanley to make him be as good a player as he can be. And by putting him on the bench, that may be able to do that. And the main way in which this is true is, okay, so when you think about Stanley Johnson's career, his short career so far, um, obviously his rookie year, he showed lots of promise in areas, but very raw, and rookies struggle all the time. Last year was almost a lost season season in a lot of ways because of the fact that it took so long for him to get going. And once he sort of got it later in the year, he did play very well. But um, he did, obviously, he really struggled early in the year. He was in and out of the lineup. It was just a mess. Then so far this year, he's been starting. And even though defensively, I think most people would agree, he's pretty much, he's gotten there. He is as good defensively as you could really possibly have hoped for him to become. Offensively, though, it's not necessarily unfair to suggest that he hasn't made any improvements, significant improvements at least. Like the only place that you can really say he's improved since his rookie year is that he he's, he turns the ball over less, which is a pretty basic thing to have happen when you as you you know gain experience. And his shooting percentages are actually are actually all worse than his rookie year. Um, there's a lot of numbers that are not as good as his rookie year. But the thing is, though, when I think back to his rookie year, okay, what was the thing that made that made you excited about Stanley Johnson his rookie year offensively? The first thing that should come to your mind is the way he ran pick-and-rolls with Aaron Baines. And, you know, that was the thing that really stood out to me at least. And they – it was good because um, – and it happened sort of on accident that he got the opportunity to handle the ball so much on the bench because um, Stan McGundy has talked about it a lot, particularly since, since they switched to the motion offense, that they were very point guard reliant as ball handlers. So some people have complained about the last couple of years, like, that's you know, why doesn't Tobias Harris get more ball handling opportunities? Well, it's because they were very point guard reliant. That's the way their offense was set up. And the reason is rookie year that Stanley Johnson still got lots of ball handling opportunities is because Steve Blake was just so comically bad that <laughs> that they had no choice but to let other people handle the ball. And Stanley Johnson was kind of the one to do it. And that bench mob was terrible. But basically the two ways that they were not terrible on occasion, one of them was on the occasional night where Anthony Tolliver just has a great night shooting and just, you know, basically, and scores like 15 points in 10 minutes of play and, you know, just basically carries a bench mob. And the other way was when Stanley Johnson and Aaron Baines really got it going in the pick and roll. They had good chemistry, and Stanley Johnson really showed some things. Obviously, he had rookie mistakes and such, but he showed some things. And the reality is then then you look at that, okay, that was the thing offensively that stood out as there may really be something here from his rookie season. Then you go to last year. Combination of that he was in the doghouse a bunch early in the season. And also that there was like actual competent back at point guard play, whether that be Ish Smith or Bino you know, Udry. Um the ball was not in his hands a whole lot. Then this year he's a starter. And as a starter, I it just when you're on the floor with Reggie Jackson, Tobias Harris, and Avery Bradley, it's hard to justify giving him significant ball handling opportunities. And so the thing from his rookie year that was really the best part of his offensive game is something that he hasn't really been able to try and build on since then. And I think moving him to the bench gives him that opportunity because of the fact that the offense is more diversified, it's less point guard reliant, and also because of the fact that the bench is just better, like there's better players around him, so it can actually work better, and it can give him an opportunity to be that ball handler type. And, I mean, I mentioned this in my article, and I've said it a couple times in my recaps and such, but I am a little bit worried, more than a little bit, actually. I'm worried about the fact that, or the idea, I suppose, of (laughs) a bench mob featuring a center who doesn't shoot, which if John Lohr comes back, he can shoot at least a little bit, at the very least to the mid-range, I have no idea if he'll ever find a three-point shot back or not. But even if he's shooting to the mid-range, that's not great spacing. But a center who doesn't shoot threes, I guess we'll say, Andish Smith and Stanley Johnson. That's, uh, <laughs> I'm not sure how I feel about that long-term. But here's, here's the thing. I do think that, particularly from the last couple of games, his just bullying, bruising drives to the basket, may be a huge help to the bench in the half court, because it's been a major problem the last few games, or not just the last few games, really for like a month now, ever since the losing streak started. Opposing teams know the book against Ishmith. Get back on defense, keep him out of transition, and then just play sound defense and let Ishmith hoist mid-range jumpers or other guys hoist contested threes. Um, they've got enough shooters on the team that they can sometimes make it work by hoisting contested threes. Ishmith is going to his, hit those mid-range jumpers sometimes. But on the whole, you're going to come out ahead more often than not. If you, make Ishmith shooting, if you make the offense be Ishmith taking mid-range jumpers and the other guys taking contested threes, you can generally avoid getting slaughtered. And, you know, even though it's a little counterintuitive to say, you know what the solution to this half-court offense is? Less shooting on the floor. Because of the fact that Stanley Johnson can really create for other guys. He's not just looking for holes and a good enough passer to find them. He can create the holes in the defense. I think that that could work. And one thing, obviously, you know, you're we're trying to extrapolate long-term from really two games for him off the bench, which is not a great idea. But the reality is, he's looked more aggressive in two games off the bench then he really has almost his entire career, he's bullying his way to the basket, he's saying, I'm getting to the hoop, I may get blocked, I may get called for an offense foul, I may this, that, or the other thing, but I'm going to get to this hoop, and I'm strong enough that they cannot stop me, right? And that's a thing that really excites me, because I think that's the best version of Stanley Johnson. And I don't know if it will last long term, I don't know if it's something that can work with having him and Ish playing significant minutes together, But I do like the idea that it's going to put the ball in his hands more, and he's going to have an opportunity to be a lead ball handler with a unit. And I like the potential for that. Um, And the other thing is, obviously, there's a good chance he's still going to play significant minutes a lot of the time because there's going to be some matchups where his defense is just too important. And, yeah, so I just, I don't know. I've come around on that move a little bit, I guess you could say. Initially, I really didn't like it, but just the more I've thought about it, the more I think that it may help the starters by virtue of Reggie Bullock can actually shoot, and I think that it may actually be a really good thing for Stanley Johnson. And based on what he said, it seems like Stanley Johnson's kind of ticked about it in the right way. Like he's not so much, I can't believe they benched me. He's more so like, well, I, I'm upset that I played so poorly that I'm on the bench, but now I'm going to you know, sort of take it out on opposing bench mobs. Like, I think he said the other day, um, you know, I don't mind so much coming off the bench or being a starter. You know, if I'm off the bench, I can handle the ball more. And I know this, if I'm coming off the bench, you're going to get double digits from me every night. And, you know, I mean, I <laughs> I don't know if that will actually end up being true or not, but that's the sort of attitude that you'd kind of, you kind of would like him to have about it, I suppose. And, um, you know, that's... That's a good thing to be at least a little bit upset about it. And if he keeps playing sort of angry and like, I'm getting to the dang hoop and ain't nothing stopping me, then it could end up being good. And we'll see long-term how it goes. The one thing that this could jeopardize is that um, once Avery Bradley comes back, I'm not sure where Luke Kennard goes in the rotation now because um, he had been essentially playing backup small forward. And Reggie Bullock had been out of the rotation. But now Reggie Bullock is starting and Stanley Johnson is the backup small forward. Which, it's just, you know, (laughs) it's a little bit different. Um, The one thing that's, and that is one thing that's like, it's a little bit bizarre about Stan Van Gundy's rotations, is that Reggie Bullock has been out of the rotation for most of the season, but then when they need someone to start at small forward, he's been the one that they've used, which doesn't really make sense. But you know whatever it's worked okay so far, so I'm not going to complain too much. But yeah, um, and then the last thing I suppose is upcoming game against the Mavericks. Uh, the Mavs are not good. They've been less bad as of late uh, than their overall record is. They're eight and twenty-three only on the year, but I think they're like they're like seven and nine over their last however many games or something like that. Um, they really came out the gate poorly. Uh, they started out the ge- the year um, one in ten. So you know, when you consider that they start out the year one in ten, then eight and twenty three is not quite as bad. But even within that, they're obviously they're not that good. Um, <laughs> so the Pistons should be able to take care of business. Are the Pistons home for that game? Uh no, they are in Dallas, so I suppose they'll have that going for them. But they should be rested. They're going to get to go and play against a bad team. I think that they should have a good chance to have a really to have a fairly easy night. Um the main thing that I want to see is I want to see Reggie Jackson and Tobias Harris really find their offensive game's back. And that'll be the big thing for me. Um you know, so Dallas is never easy, I suppose. That's not fair to say. Uh, because they play hard. Rick Carlisle is a good coach. Um, Harrison Barnes can get you some buckets. But they're, they're just they're not that good. So <laughs> they should be okay. And, you know, them, even though it may not end up being the most pretty win streak, you won four games cleaning up against bad teams, and that's one of the things you have to be able to do. So, yeah, I particularly, I like how the Pistons match up against Dallas because Dallas does not have much in the way of effective large human beings, just to be completely honest about it. They're starting Dirk Nowitzki as, as, at center, and um, uh, Sala Mejri is mostly playing some backup center. They're playing some Dwight Powell at center. Um, it's just, it's, <laughs> it's just, it's not, it's not, They're not big, down low, or athletic. Uh, Also, this guy called, named Maxi Kleber, or however you pronounce his name, Uh, he's German, so I'm sure it's it's probably Kleber or something like that, but I don't know. They're just, they do not have a lot of large human beings who should be able to handle Andre Drummond. So, you know, obviously Dirk Nowitzki presents issues on the other end, but he's old. And, you know, (laughs) there's a certain point at which that has caught up to him. So, I like how the Pistons match up with them as well, uh, on top of the fact that I think the Pistons are just better than they are. So, um, I like where that can go. And then, hey, you win four games in a row, even if it ain't pretty, not too much to complain about there. So, yeah, I think as much as it was very disappointing to see the Pistons go on that losing streak, they've responded to it the way that they should have responded to it, which is that they're playing worse teams now, and they've gone out and they've beat those worse teams. And... You know, they're in a good spot still. I think they're fourth in the conference now, right? Um, I believe. Let me double-check that. Yeah, they're in fourth spot in the conference. Um, So for everything, if you said, you know, you're going to be in the middle of December and the Pistons are going to be 17-13, and middle of the – and at fourth place in the Eastern Conference, I'm pretty sure most people would have taken that. And um, the conference is mostly shaping up about the way that I thought it would. Um, before the year uh, we'll see if that continues but if it does continue I'm totally gonna you know I'm gonna pat myself pretty hard on the back for that which is that I think Boston Cleveland and Toronto are the class of the Eastern Conference I think they're pretty clear I mean this was true last year as well so this isn't exactly going out on a big limb but um, those three are really they're pretty clearly the top three I think they'll separate from everyone else But then after that, I think, honestly, 4 through 10 or 11. um, I think it could be 11 just because I think one of Charlotte or Orlando could end up, you know, getting healthy and coming back into the mix. But at the very least, 4 through 10, I think, could very well end up being pretty close. And if the Pistons can end up on top of that heap, great. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they ended up close... Uh, a little bit further back, but, between Detroit, Indiana, Milwaukee, Washington, the Knicks, Miami, and Philadelphia, and I didn't think that the Knicks would be in this, but they are now definitely, uh, Chris Epps is so stinking good that they're going to be in that mix, I think, all year, um, so, that's going to be just kind of a slaughterhouse atwixt those teams, but as long as the Pistons can just sort of manage to stay on top of it, hey, I'm not going to complain about it, so, yeah, I think a lot of good things, a little bit worrying, but it's still mostly good, and hey, that's what you want, and yeah, so that's it for today, Um, I will talk to everybody later, stay beautiful everybody, and go Pistons!